independent voices and civil dialogue across the gaping political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, I'm your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland. Yeah, that would be Des Moines, Iowa. If you value what we do, folks, we could sure use your help, your support, your thoughts and prayers. Hey, visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a nonprofit, uh, consider becoming a sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned and specialty grocery store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also check out Gatorings, uh, Gatings, Gateway's Catering and Floral Services as Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, later in the program, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about growing food in your front yard. Some places that's good, some places it's bad. We believe it ought to be good and allowed everywhere. We'll talk about that later in the program. And uh, uh, Rick Stewart is going to join me. Uh, we're, we're, we're extending invitations to all the Iowa candidates for governor. And Rick is the first to respond. We're also going to be extending invitations probably to the U.S. Senate candidates in Iowa. And if there's something cool happening somewhere else in the country, we might try to line up candidates from that race as well. But for now, Rick Stewart joining us today. But before he does, I want to talk about this is um, kind of a cross between what the heck and news of the weird. So a guy won a lawsuit in Kentucky. Um, he won 450 grand in a lawsuit against his employer because the employer threw a birthday party for him. And your initial reaction would be, oh, how ingrateful. The guy gets a birthday party, and instead of saying, whoa, have fun, he sues. Well, apparently he's got some issues. And he, um, he, know, he knew that this guy, this employer's name, uh, Kevin Burling, he knew that a surprise birthday party or any kind of a birthday celebration at work might uh, cause a panic attack. He warned the employer, he said, don't throw a party for me. I, I'll, have, I'll, have a, I'll have an adverse reaction. And so they did anyhow, because that's what they do at, uh, what's this place called? Um, Gravity Diagnostics. They throw parties for their employees. Very nice thing to do, I suppose. But they threw the party. <laughs> and uh, Burling, as he predicted, had a panic attack. He um, left, the, left the building and had the rest of his lunch in his car. And then he sent a message to the Gravity manager saying, uh, that he was upset by the company not honoring his request that they not hold a party. And so a day later, he got called into a meeting and was, um, uh, was uh, you know, kind of read down, you know, criticized for his reaction. And um, <laughs> then they fired him. And so he sued. Okay, so I get it. That's probably worth suing somebody for. Um, the birthday party thought thing, I thought, you know, maybe just let that go, but they went on and fired him. So I'm going to come down on his side on this one, even though I do think that our criminal justice system, our system of litigation is out of control. And I, at this point, want to welcome Rick Stewart to the program, because I know among all the things we're going to cover today regarding your campaign, why you're running, and the political side of it as well, I know you're deeply interested in all matters 
criminal justice. Rick, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Ed. It's nice to be here again. And before we go any further, what are your thoughts on that? And I, I, I did not prepare you for this. I did not tell you about this in advance. This may be the first you've heard of this situation. Yes? That's the first I've heard of it. What are your thoughts? I, spot. I think it's a, an excellent example of how uh, many people in this world have what I would call authoritarian tendencies because they think they know better than you. Uh, and if they think they know better than you, they have, they have big hearts and they're very well-meaning uh, and they detect what they, perf what they think is a, sort of a defect in you. Uh, and they're going to help you get over it because they're paternalistic. In this case, uh, they, they, they knew better than Mr. Burling, and they went ahead and threw a party for him. Yeah, after okay. somebody says, please don't throw one, uh, you okay. know, then I, I, my response would be to respectfully not throw one. Because who am I to overrule the person who knows themselves that they don't want one? So even if he hadn't been fired, you'd think the lawsuit would have been justified? Well, I don't know about the lawsuit part, but I think that uh, trying to be uh, authoritarian and, and paternalistic, uh, it, it gets a lot of people in a lot of trouble at all levels, and that's the, where the original error was. Firing him just seems to me like over the... Uh, that's way overboard because, yeah. I, I mean, I can understand why an employer would not want to have somebody who had panic attacks. I don't know what kind of business this was, but you have to understand that an employer is just trying to make money by hiring you. They're, they're not hiring you out of the generosity of their heart. They're trying to make money. Right. And it could very well be that your job you know, is one that you can't have panic attacks. I'll just give you an example. Uh, I've been a volcano guide, <clears throat> what? a guide on volcanoes. We take tourists up volcanoes. Not in Iowa. Nope, nope, not in Iowa. That would be a hill guide. <laughs> They've called me a hillbilly, but this was a volcano guide. Uh, and so I've had, I've experienced people that got uh, panic attacks on the hikes, right? So that's... Because of the height or because of the understanding that this thing could blow? Uh, no, uh, I have absolutely no idea okay. why this person had a panic attack, uh, but I, I observed it firsthand. Uh, and so I, I, I get it. If people who have panic attacks, you, you know, that happens. And I would not hire a guide... Who, who was subject to panic attacks if I knew it in advance because sure. you're the guide and you need to be the one who may, who helps people get up the volcano. So there, I can see there are situations. I don't know what this gravity business is, but there's times when you might not want to have somebody who has panic attacks working for you. But this guy, it sounds like the only problem he had was the authoritarian streak in his employer that wants to say, well, I'll, you know, I know more than you. We'll, yeah. You won't have a panic attack because we'll throw you a good birthday party. And that's really what I object to is people that don't listen to other people right? because then things go downhill. So this ties in with uh, your uh, focus in life on a number of ways uh, as a business owner, um, as a libertarian, and as a person with deep background in, in law enforcement. I think so it does. So tell me about your... tell. Tell our, I, I, know, I know a little bit from, from our previous conversations, but tell our audience a little bit about your background in law enforcement. Well, I was a long-haired hippie traveling, uh, hitchhiking in Europe and Asia uh, in the Middle East. And uh, I, I ran out of money, and so I, I, it was two years after I started. I borrowed money. I, I flew back to Iowa. Uh, but Who'd you borrow money from? Am I allowed to ask that? Uh, sure. It was actually just a friend that I'd met in India. Um, a very a generous friend, yeah. Did you pay him back? Her, yeah. Her. Oh, absolutely. I paid her back with interest. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Good to know. Good to know. If you're going to borrow money, you should pay back more. She didn't charge me interest, but I, I was very grateful. Uh, it was a, uh, it was like eight hundred dollars. So, um, 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need to ask what percentage interest did you pay? I think I gave her a thousand. Okay, I, I, you know, that's she, pretty good, Rick. She, I want to lend you some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was a she was a, a great friend. We we really connected, and uh, she she actually she came up to me and said, you know, because uh, she knew my whole story. I'd been gone for two years. She said, I was wondering if you'd like to fly home for Christmas, and I'm like, that's the first time it ever crossed my mind, and I and I realized, yeah, I I've done with this two year trip. It's okay if I go home now. Yeah, and she lent me the money. So anyway, I got back to Iowa, and of course, I had no skills. I had uh, a high school diploma and one and a half years of college, but they were not useful uh, uh, classes that I'd taken to get a job. Uh, but there was an announcement in the paper in Maquoketa that there was a civil service test for um, a, a police officer. Well, I figured, well, I, you know, I'm pretty good at taking tests, so I went in, I took the test, I, I scored... I scored very well. I, I'll be very modest. I mm -hmm. will not. I will not say that I scored higher than anyone has ever scored on that test. <laughs> but I will say this: if I missed a question, I am shocked. <laughs> one of the questions well. <laughs> that I didn't miss was: uh, one package of cigarettes costs thirteen cents. How much do two packages cost? Uh, and that was sort of the level that you needed to know if you wanted to be a police officer. See, let me get my calculator out. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll get back to you after the break. Yeah. So really, I, I mean, the questions were that simple? Exactly. Oh it's it's okay. not a, it was not a hard test. It was right. uh, done by the, the professor so I, at the right. University of Iowa. So you passed, and then you got a job. Uh, I, I scored well, and the professor told my chief, don't hire that guy. He'll be trouble. Uh, but my chief <laughs> hired me anyway. Okay? And he and I were fantastic friends forever. <laughs> Um, how, so, many, how many years were you in? Which, which police force were you with? Uh, Maquoketa uh, Police Department. Okay. Jackson so there County? Were, yeah. uh, yep, eight or nine uh, uh, police officers. Okay, and how long were you there for? I did that for two years, and uh -huh. it was absolutely wonderful. It was one of the best experiences of my life because it allowed me to see the world from a, the opposite perspective that I had been looking at the world. Uh, and I like that. Yeah. I like to see the world from all perspectives. You had to cut your hair. Uh, by then, my hair was cut because I, I cut it before I got on the plane. Okay, but, now it's yeah. gone completely. Now I, it's in a, a, a box on my dresser, the, the last strand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so, so two years of the Jackson yeah. uh, uh, City, uh, yeah, well, not Jackson, uh, Maquoketa Police, Police Department, Department in yeah. Jackson County. Yep. And then we're off to after that. Well, I got fired because I refused to shave my beard. Um, oh. That same uh, chief, oh. we had a new mayor in town. So, so you cut your hair, but you wouldn't shave your beard? Uh, it was the principal thing. Earlier on, I had a beard, and nobody told me to cut it off. So uh -huh. I cut it off for a completely unrelated reason. And then later, we got a new mayor, and the mayor was an 88-year-old retired Iowa farmer, and he told the chief, get that beard off that kid. I was 21 <laughs> so, years old. So ago. the mayor told the police yep. chief to tell you to cut your beard. And the police chief did, and I said, I looked at him, and I said, you know that means I'm not coming back. Because he said, don't come back until you've, that beard is gone. But you like the work. I love the work, yeah. But you like the beard more? No, I like the principle. Ah. Uh, the and the beard, principle is? The principle is this beard had nothing whatsoever to do with my job. It wasn't interfering with my job. It didn't offend anybody. It was neatly trimmed. And if you're telling me that I, that I can't wear it, then essentially I'm not going to work for you. So let me ask you a question. I mean, I mean, police are in the public eye quite a bit these days uh, and a lot, a lot of criticism. Did you, what, and this was what, back in the 70s, 80s? Yeah, early 70s. Early 70s. What, what, what is your experience, in terms of what you know now about public concerns about racial bias within the police department, what is your, what is your recollection of whether or not that was an issue and a concern 
back in the 70s in Maquoketa, Iowa? Well, it wasn't a concern in Maquoketa because there was only one, one race, and that was white. Uh, <laughs> okay. There, may, there well, yeah. may have been an adopted yeah. uh, Korean child or some, you know, some randoms, uh, but it was hard to—it wasn't that hard for them. I, I, mm -hmm. I know there were a couple of these, and they were treated in, in my generation just like everybody else. Uh, so, yeah, there wasn't any racial bias in, in Maquoketa in that year. Uh, do I believe that there's racial bias in policing? Uh, well, it depends on what your definition of bias is, but you have to think about it from a police officer's perspective. They want to arrest somebody. They want their job to be easy. It's a lot easier to arrest a poor person than it is to arrest a rich person. So who do you think they're going to choose to arrest? And then, unfortunately... That's kind of disturbing. Yeah, oh, <laughs> trust me, it's a lot easier to arrest a poor well, person. Yeah, I know, but... But, but but being motivated by that uh, premise is is unsettling. That's sort of human nature, you know. You run into Elon Musk, and you're probably going to be polite, even if you don't like him. Hmm. But if you run into somebody that you perceive is not a, a danger to you or not a troublemaker, you know, we, we, there's a pecking order. Everybody admits there's a pecking order, hmm. and so we have chickens. We know that's right. That's right. And so you're always going to go the easiest job possible is to arrest people who are not. Do, who don't have more money than you, or don't have more status than you? Well, let's let's move on. You you lost the job. You kept the beard. What happened next? Uh, I took a brief job. I learned a little carpentry and some uh, plumbing and stuff like that. But then I started a, a an herb hobby, really selling bulk herbs and spices to the co-op natural food stores in Iowa, and um, that that was just a volunteer thing we did, my wife and I. But it. it you know, it was fun. It was interesting, and it got big. And today, it's a two hundred and fifty million dollar business with six hundred employees. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. And it's uh, Frontier Herbs. Frontier right? Natural Products. But Frontier, Frontier, Frontier Herbs yeah. was the first name. I have uh, toured the. Uh, it's in Norway, Norway, Iowa, folks. Not Norway across the water. And it's. Uh, I've toured it years ago, and it was. I was very impressed. It's a very fun place. I was just there last week. I still. It's a lovely business. Yeah. It's out in the country with a bunch of native prairie around it, and yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, it's a it's a pretty cool business. It's a nice business to be in because you're buying sp stuff from all over the world. You're bringing it into Iowa. You're packaging it up, and you're selling it to all over the country. You meet so many good people in the natural foods business, yeah. uh, and you know it, it really makes you feel good uh, at what you're doing because spices. That's what makes food taste good. So, um, hippie, uh, peace op police officer, uh, herb grower, business owner. Is that the last chapter, or is there uh, something between business owner and candidate for governor? Well, I retired early because I'd saved my money, and my children were all uh, out of high school, and I'd already put aside the money for their college. Uh, and I, so I, I retired early, not because I was rich, but because I had other things I wanted to do, mostly world travel. Hmm. Uh, I had this strong yearning in, in me to uh, go back and, and learn the French that I had failed to learn in high school. <laughs> but I also wanted to learn Spanish because I seriously, I felt naked being monolingual. Hmm. It just felt like that's a, that's a defect in, in my, in who I picture myself. Because hmm. I had traveled all around the world and I could only speak English. Hmm. So, yeah, I went to France. I studied French in Paris, and then I went to Spain and studied uh, uh, Spanish in Spain. And then I, I went to China. I studied Chinese in Beijing. Uh, that was a big part of what I wanted to do. But I also wanted to do some adventuring. So I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Uh, I, hmm. uh, I went to Guatemala. I hiked volcanoes uh, and, and make money for a nonprofit organization. 
uh, yeah, I, you know, it was like, it was my heart. And also I spent a lot more time reading. Oh. Yeah, because when I was working, I didn't have time to read books. It, was, it, it took too long. It right. would interfere with my work. I could only read magazines. One of my pledges to myself was I'm going to start reading books. And that's one of the things I've done a lot of. Folks, we're talking with Rick, Rick Stewart. He's the um, libertarian candidate for governor in Iowa. And we've been kind of going over his background. When we come back from a short break, we're going to dig into some of the reasons why he is running to be Iowa's next governor. Uh, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche is more important than ever. You know, so please support what we do. You can go to the Fallon Forum website, uh, check it out, donate. Even better, become a monthly sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You can learn more at groovy-goods.com or just stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. Thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westerman and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. Again with me today, Rick Stewart, Libertarian candidate for governor. And we have invited all the candidates for governor in Iowa. Uh, heard briefly from the Republican candidates campaign, not a word from the Democrat yet, but delighted that Rick responded right away and is with us in the studio. We've been talking about his background and a fascinating background it is. Rick, you are running for governor because you care about fill in the blank. I care about uh, individual liberty and uh, government that's responsible for uh, protecting those liberty, liberties uh, and that uh, does the things that it should be doing extremely well uh, and that it doesn't try to do the things that it really can't do very well. Uh, I, I think that's one of the, the, the major issues. A lot of people say, well, libertarians, you, you want no government. No, that's not for me. I, I, I think it's great if government is working really well. Uh, but unfortunately, over the course of, I would say, the last hundred years, uh, it's been captured by people who um, they, they've decided to try to do things and they failed, but they've 
then they fail to stop doing those things. So the size of government has gotten gigantic. The quality of government has gone downhill. And I, I just want to do the, I want government to do all the things that it can do really well. So if the government is the best organization for delivering mail, then I'd like the government to deliver the mail. Let's start with that. I mean, it's a federal issue. Yeah, it's but, a federal but, issue. Uh, yeah. But is that, uh, do you think the Postal Service should be privatized? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that every country that's privatized the Postal Service, uh, other than the United States, has been very happy with the results. So you would, you, you would privatize it? Yeah, I'm sure that they that what the the privatized privatized postal office would would provide better service at lower cost. That's what's happened all around the world. Huh. I, I can't imagine the postal uh, the mail service being any better. Actually, it's pretty darn good. Well, that's because no. you haven't seen anything better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Deutsche uh, Post DLH is the example. That's the, that used to be the. The public uh, post office in Germany. Mm -hmm. And look at them now. They're we're worldwide. They're one of the best uh, deliverers of uh, and it's packages. a private company now? Yeah, they privatize. So what about yeah. when you've got UPS, you've got FedEx, you've got Amazon all competing to be the private competitor to uh, the private company that can, that can, that can uh, you know, eliminate the U.S. Postal Service? Well, their goal is to eliminate all of their competitors, not just right. the and U.S. So when, and Service. And when they do, their rates are going to go sky high. Well, that isn't what we've seen when they compete with each other because and Amazon is actually fairly inexpensive company to buy things at, and right, uh, and there's no UPS is in Amazon and, and uh, FedEx are competing just like and unlike, unlike the U.S. Postal Service, there's no well, except for one little Amazon shop in I think New York. There's no union. There's no there's no representation. There's no one. To Those go companies to. all have unions. Amazon. Well, Amazon, well, yeah, yeah, FedEx Amazon and UPS. has one, but yeah, FedEx and UPS—they're both unionized. You get paid more to work for them than you do for the post office. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, good example, <laughs> even though we might disagree on it. But um, what else? What you say, liberty? Let me let me ask something of it that's pretty near and dear to a lot of the listeners on this program in Iowa. There is a proposal now by three companies to build a carbon dioxide pipeline, or th three different pipelines, two thousand miles of pipeline. And presumably, since there's so many farmers and landowners opposed to that, this would require eminent domain. Would you support the use of eminent domain to build that pipeline? No way. No way. Absolutely not. It's one of the biggest frauds that this we're seeing in Iowa right now. How so? Well, okay, so the, the short story I'll, uh, is that, that what they're claiming uh, is that it's a public service to build this uh, pipeline because if it's not for the public good, then they, they definitely aren't going to get it. So what is the public good of this uh, pipeline? Well, uh, they're going to sequester CO2, uh, and we have a problem with too much CO2 in the atmosphere, so that sounds like it'd be a good idea, right? Uh, but then when you just dig a little bit under the surface, you, you realize they're going to get all their CO2 from ethanol plants. And um, uh, it's, that's a very efficient way to collect CO2 out of the atmosphere, but this is CO2 that's just been made. It's, it's not the CO2 that's like everywhere. It's the CO2 coming out of the chimney, so they, they take that CO2 out of the chimney and they compress it into a liquid and then they're going to sequester it. But the, it, 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 some of it, it's half true. The story is always half true. Okay? Yeah. The, the, the half that they tell you is we're going, to, we're going to put this CO2 in the ground and it's never going to come out again, which is true because it's heavier than air. So it's, it's not going to go up. And um, that way we get CO2 out of the atmosphere. But the problem is, well, number one, you, it's brand new CO2 that you just created. You might right. be better off if you didn't run the ethanol plant. But number two... <laughs> is the, the number one use, well, it get, this story is so bad, it takes a little bit of time to talk about it, but number two is that, that CO2 that they're going to sequester, they're, they're going to put it into an old oil well, 
for the purpose, the only purpose, the, the true purpose is the, the oil rises on top of the sequestered CO2, and then they can pump the oil out, and then they're going to burn it. And that's a net gain, well, from our perspective, loss. That, that creates more CO2 in the atmosphere than you put into the, the ground. So you actually create more uh, CO2 in the atmosphere by taking it out at the ethanol plant and putting it into these things. So they're basically lying. Number three. They just aren't telling the truth. And there oh, is okay, a there's a difference. All right, well, I will not accuse you of lying. I but, want to hear the difference but, between but, lying but, and not telling the it, truth. But if, you're, if I ask you a direct question and, and you give me an incorrect answer, that's lying. And that's what we need to do. We need to ask them the very direct questions. And that's why people have to understand what's really going on. Mm-hmm. But number three, the only way it's profitable. Okay, I mean, the reason that it's profitable is the ethanol plant's going to pay them a little bit, but not much. It's a 45Q tax credit. It, well, okay, that's that comes third, okay. right? All right? First is the ethanol plant. is They're getting rid of a problem. Makes them look good. So I'm going to give you some money to make me look good. Number two, I'm going to pump more oil out of the well. Those guys, they already buy CO2. This is the way the system works with, with or without this pipeline. 90% of the CO2 that's produced in the United States is used for the purpose I just described. So that's already a market. Uh, the, the oil wells buy CO2 in order to get more oil out of the well. Mm-hmm. So that's the second way that the pipeline is going to make money. And the third way is they're going to get a tax credit from the, the infrastructure right. bill. Yep. And that tax credit is absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't build this pipeline profitably, which is what they're trying to do, if even one of those legs uh, uh, fell apart. It's a three-legged stool, and all three legs are bad. So, so there's no reason in the world for this to go forward. So it's really excellent an- analysis. But to the, other, to, the, to the specific question about eminent domain, let me broaden it a bit. Should a private company be allowed to use eminent domain, or should eminent domain be restricted to public purposes? Well, the Supreme Court decided in favor of allowing uh, eminent domain to be used for private purposes, so I'm not going to question the Supreme Court. It's just that's the law right now until somebody else makes a different decision. But that doesn't mean that everybody— You're you're referring to the Dakota Access Pipeline. Well, that's that's the Iowa problem that we have, okay? But the Supreme Court— Oh, you mean the U.S. Supreme Court relevant to Kilo, the Kilo case? Yes, the Kilo case. Um, so, I mean, if it's the law of the land, then either I, I'm going to follow the law or try and get it changed. I think it's a horrible decision. Okay. Oh, yeah, I think it's an absolutely horrible decision. And if you look at the, the actual case, then the case itself proves that it was a bad idea. Let me put it this way. If you're, if you're governor and the legislature sends you a bill toughening eminent domain law, maybe, maybe even going to the saying that eminent domain shall not be used to build CO2 pipelines, would you sign that bill? I'd sign it in a second. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Because there's there's just no reason for any private company, even though it's legal, right, because the Supreme Court decided it's legal, we can make it illegal in Iowa, and that's what mm. we should do. Mm. Yeah. We should not allow private companies uh, to get eminent domain privileges uh, just because they've managed to convince legislators, <laughs> which I'm sorry to say this, but sometimes the way you convince legislators is, is not 100%, uh, let's say, above board. Okay, there's been oh, a lot of donations. To, I saw a bunch of that when I was up there. there there's been and a I, lot I, of donations I, made, a lot of arms twisted, a lot of trading back and forth. The legislature yeah. right now is the problem because they don't have the guts to stand up and say no. Hmm. That's the problem because you know what's going to happen. They delayed it until next February, and next February is very early in the legislative session. And what they're going to do is the Iowa Utilities Board is going to then have permission to make a ruling, and the Iowa Utilities Board is going to rule in favor of uh, the pipeline and eminent domain, and it's going to be too late to do anything about it. That's what well, this it, current legislature well, did. Well, I, I would disagree there. I think, they, I think they've, 
they've intentionally set a deadline uh, for the point at which they'll be in session. They will have enough time between the start of session early January and February to either strengthen that law um, or some, somehow somehow impact the, uh, the CO2 pipeline proposals. Well, I, I consider that to be essentially the same thing as my... Uh uh, my, my wife telling me that I've got 10 minutes to get to the grocery store and get all that shopping done. It's theoretically possible. All right. Well, and it's not going to happen. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it well, no, it's only going to happen if, if there's so much commotion made, hmm. right? That, that well, there's a that, lot of commotion being made. There so, is a lot of commotion being so made. So let, let me, let me, uh, the, the related topic of climate change, which you talked about quite a bit, uh, indirectly there, but, uh, what are your thoughts on what the state can and should do relevant to the climate crisis? Tax carbon. Tax carbon. Yeah. Tax and rebate. Okay, so how does that work? Well, the taxes, you just put a, a tax on uh, per ton of carbon that uh, anybody emits. Uh, it'll be uh, paid for at the source, so I don't have to personally write a check for the tax. Right. Uh, but the people who pump oil out of the ground or the people who create uh, ethanol or the people who uh, burn coal, uh, all the things that create carbon are going to have to pay a per ton tax. Uh, and if the tax will increase the price of the end consumer, so I will have to pay it indirectly, uh, and then I will use less carbon because it'll cost more, and then gr- gradually we'll get our carbon cranked down, and there'll be a, a reward for being innovative now. And is that, is that being tried anywhere else? Well, it's hard to put a tax on carbon in just one country, but why not? That's well, what I said. So, I mean, we, we couldn't do it in Iowa? We could. Oh, no, we could do it. Sure. Okay. We could declare that there's a carbon tax. Absolutely. How would that work with uh, interstate commerce laws? There we go. Well, you you only have everybody would have to pay the tax, so we're not discriminating against people out of state. Yeah, right. I think it would be a great symbolic thing because that's the problem. It's the intelligent thing to do. William Nordhaus won a Nobel Prize in economics for doing all the the math on in this, and it's like, yeah, he he figured it out. Uh, So let's do that. And uh, it's not unknown out there. It's just that people like to talk about ninety nine other things, and it gets lost in the in Mm -hmm. the yap. Yeah. Uh, but a target tax, tax, carbon tax is the only way to go. The problem with that is that, that now the government has even more money they're going to waste. So that's why I say rebate it to the consumer. Uh, okay. And the consumer, that would be a per capita rebate. So you and I, I don't know how much it would be. Let's just say we'd both get a 50 or or $100 check. Uh, if you didn't drive much, it would it'd be profitable for you. But if you drive a lot, then you know, mm. you'd pay more tax than you, do, uh, than you get your rebate. That way, the government doesn't get its hand on it, and they can't waste it. And the tax just goes up until we don't. We are no longer ruining the the entire climate of the earth. Interesting. So you mentioned earlier uh, concerns about the legislature being ineffective, um, and I think that there was an implication there that uh, legislators respond to money, to donations, and uh, if there are special interests that are funding their campaign, they're very much more likely to go along with the agenda that that special interest wants. You'd, I assume you'd agree with that analysis. That is absolutely factual. So what, uh, what are you doing to, what are you, and, and, that, and that same problem would affect a candidate for governor, for example, or, or the, if you get elected, the governor, a congressperson, a senator. How, how, what are you doing in your campaign to avoid that trap? Well, number one, I'm not getting a lot of donations. I'm not sure that's be, that, I'm not doing it to make that come true. I would love to get more donations. Uh, but uh, number two, I, I think that anybody that looks at my record from standing up to the to the chief of police and allowing myself to be fired <laughs> right. uh, to the way I've lived my life and the way I've always uh, approached it, 
Um, you know, my company had a, um, a, a value statement, which was there when I was there. I helped write it, and they still have it today, and I've adopted it as a personal value statement. But that statement is, in all that I do, at all times, and with all people, I will conduct my affairs and the affairs of my campaign with unwavering integrity. So, so if I get a donation from somebody, let's just say somebody comes along and says, I want to give you $100,000, Rick, you know, because that's what I gave the other governor. Uh, and I'm going to say, I would gladly take that donation. And I will use it to make sure that that pipeline is never built. Okay. And uh, that's hard to do, I think. I think It's it, not hard for me to do. I mean, I, <laughs> it's, it's so, easy. So, so a legislator comes back to his or her desk, and they have two notes on there. There's, there's the note from Joe Blow constituent, and there's the note from the, the, the lobbyist for the special interest that gave that candidate 500 or 1,000 bucks. Yeah. Which, which one of those two people do you think that legislator is going to call back? Well, you know, it's a 49-51 decision and the money wins. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. That's, yeah the money, I, of course the money wins. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think... It's I, not cheap to be a politician. Well, it... And uh, they don't pay much. No. Well, so they, you the governor have, gets paid pretty well. you got to have other people give you money so you can get yeah. this job that doesn't pay very much, but, you know, it gives you power and people love power. That's why people become mm. politicians. But I, I just, I, I worry that if, if, if a candidate doesn't set some restriction on where they're taking their money from, it's going to be hard for them to be as independent and free to vote their conscience as they'd like. I, I, I totally agree with that. Now, the thing about it is we can go and, and find out who gave the, every candidate money. That's in the, in the public records, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, what an honest candidate does is they say, this is who gave me money, starting with the big one and going on down. They make a public statement. They say, this is who gave me money. Watch to make sure I don't ever fail you in my voting mm -hmm. because I don't plan. I, every, every vote I make will be for the benefit of Iowa. All right. And if they did that, if they took that seriously and said, this is, is who's funding me, as it is, it's like a trap. Oh, he, he took $5,000 from so-and-so. It's like, well, yeah. But if the candidate comes out and says it, I think it's, it's so, uh, one more, more likely that they will vote the way that they should. One more question before we run to another break. Um, hog confinements are a big issue in Iowa. Um, this is maybe not as much of an interest to people around, around, the, around the country, but uh, we have a, a huge number of industrial confinements, often many of them controlled by big companies. Is there anything you would do to change the regulatory framework that impacts hog confinements? Well, the hog confinements, really, the only problem that anybody has with them is they stink and they have the chance of... Well, the water quality. Yeah, no, they have the chance of ruining the water supply, right? Well, I think, I think there's some, arguably they're having an impact. Ask our friends in New Orleans. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope they're still our friends, although if I were them, I wouldn't be very friendly. Um, yes, that's, that's the challenge, and it's not just hog confinement. If you can build a hog confinement facility that has a, a tiny chance of going bad, which means pollution, right, and, and you, you're not putting up a, something that makes it unbearable for anybody within five-mile range to live, uh, then I think that's fine. But the standards have to be high, and um, if you can't do that, you can't have a plant, okay? So I think you can create, and I'm not even in favor of, of hog confinement plants, okay? It's not like I want it, I don't want my ham to come from one of these places. Mm -hmm. I would prefer that my ham came from my neighbor who has, you know, a dozen pigs. But if you can do it in a way that doesn't have a negative impact on anybody else, then I think you should be allowed to do it. But it has to be a non-negative non impact. And you, you need to buy some insurance so that if things go wrong, 
people are compensated. That's what I would say. You can't just go out there and like make a mistake. Oh, geez, I, you know, I killed 10,000 fish, right? You need to build it to a higher level and you need to uh, have a bond that you'd buy or insurance that you'd buy that makes sure that if you go wrong, it costs you a lot of money mm. because it should cost you money to pollute because then you won't pollute. Mm. Folks, uh, talking with uh, Rick, uh, Rick Stewart, he's a libertarian candidate for governor here in Iowa. I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host. We've got to take a short break. Rick's going to stick around. We're going to switch gears and, and move on from talking about issues to talking about politics. When we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. You can learn more about the Story County Veterinary Clinic at their Facebook page, Story County Veterinary Clinic. Again, this is Ed Fallon. I'm the host here of the Fallon Forum. We're going on 13 years now doing this program. And Rick Stewart is my guest. Um, Rick, you are a libertarian candidate for governor. And again, we've invited the Republican and Democratic candidates as well. Hopefully they will join us. Um, but Rick, you've got a, law, a big hill to climb. Typically, the Democratic and Republican candidates do well. Third-party candidates, um, if they're lucky, they get one, two, three percent of the vote. How do you feel about that? Well, I think that uh, the answer to that is for uh, people to vote libertarian and give us 51 percent of the vote. <laughs> so and how, and how do you how do you how do you move that needle so that happens? Well, you know, uh, politics is a business. It's not a hobby and it's not a nonprofit organization. Uh, and like every other business, there's a recipe. Uh, and most people that make money in a business follow the recipe, and a few people break new ground and create new recipes. Politics is the same way. So Donald Trump, you know, he, he broke new ground and created a new recipe for, for winning. Uh, he also created a, a new recipe for losing. But um, <laughs> uh, So, uh, you know, I am going to try and follow the original recipe and also try and break out of that and do something which will cause people to to see that Rick Stewart's a better choice for governor than the competitor. And, and of course, you know, uh, we, there, there, are, there are examples. We have two U.S. senators who are neither Democrat nor Republican. 
we had a, a, a governor in Maine, uh, Angus King, I believe, who was uh, independent. And of course, just north of us in Minnesota for uh, one term, four years, we had um, Governor Jesse Ventura, yeah. the independent who beat the Republican and Democrat. So it's not like it can't happen, but it's rare. It's extremely it's rare. rare. Yep. And I guess uh, you don't have to tell me your entire strategy on the air, uh, but <laughs> but uh, I mean, part of the problem is it's going to be hard to convince people, whether they're Democrat or Republican, vote for me. You're not throwing your vote away because that's what that's what that's what the, the partisans are going to be saying. Don't vote for Rick Stewart. You'll be throwing your vote away. Well, I hope that my uh, opponents will start saying that because it will give me more uh, name recognition. Uh, that's the first the first hurdle you have to cross is uh, name recognition. And, of course, everybody already knew who Jesse Ventura was, and everybody already knew who Donald Trump was, and the media magnified that, so they got name recognition before they were politicians. How are you at wrestling? Uh, I was a pretty good wrestler, but I wasn't world-class. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> it was my sport. It's my only good sport. <laughs> Uh, so uh, but Jesse Ventura uh, of Iowa, that could that could resonate. Uh, it might. It, uh, by the way, Jesse Ventura did uh, endorse me. Oh, really? Yeah. No, we just got his endorsement uh, a couple weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Congratulations. Yep. Uh, on the air. Uh, so, but uh, name recognition is number one, okay? And so my my job is to create name recognition. And one way you can create name recognition is by spending a lot of money on advertising. Yeah, that's uh, the typical so way. Right at this point in time, you know, only a very small number of Iowans have ever heard of Deidre DeGier, but she is the candidate that they're going to be running. And almost everybody in Iowa has heard of Kim Reynolds because she's the current governor. I need to make it so everybody in Iowa, or at least most, almost everybody in Iowa, has heard of Rick Stewart. Uh, and there's a, a, a variety of ways to do that. I keep saying if I had a million dollars, I would win this race. My opponent, Kim Reynolds... Already has more than a million. She has five <laughs> as of January 1st. Right. Deidre doesn't have that kind well, of money. Well, she, she, raised, she raised a quarter of a million, then spent it all before even the uh, start well, of the year. Well, that was Deidre. Yeah, Deidre, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 She was down to 8,000 <laughs> on January 1st. Ouch. Um, so, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting election. We could go into that in detail, but I think that that's probably a little boring for people. Okay. What I'd like people to understand is that... Um, if you, want, if you like the two-party system and you like the results of the two-party system and you're saying, we can't get much better than this, please don't vote for me. Because hmm. my goal is to break the two-party system. I like to say, I want to stop the two-party party because they're having a party at, at voters' expense. Mm -hmm. Okay, Both of them are just bidding each other up. They're, they're, they're spewing hatred of the other side. They're trying to create conflict. Uh, and that's the situation that we have now. And I want to break up that party. So if you'd like to help me break up that party, there's certain things you can do. Here's one that some of your listeners, especially the younger ones, might be interested in. But uh, I'm going to have interns. Uh, I call them interns because they're not going to get paid uh, this summer, right, that are going to be working with me uh, all over the state of Iowa, okay. from the, the far northwest uh, up there in Sioux City and Orange City down to Keokuk and, and over to um, the southwest Iowa up into Postville. We're going to be covering the entire state. I have a, a, a trailer. We're going to be going to, like, dozens and dozens of county fairs and parades. Every time there's a festival in Iowa, we're going to be at it, and we're going to be at it with people that are going to be out there handing out my literature and making a splash. And uh, I, I'm probably going to expose my, my body, right, my, my face, my beautiful face. Uh, I, it's a face that's really good for radio. Uh, the, uh, to, uh, well, yeah. you and me both. Yeah, well, no, I, 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 if, if your face was as bad as my face, you wouldn't have such a lovely wife. I'll stop it. 
the uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in front of literally hundreds of thousands of people this summer. Right. Uh, I can't be in front of uh, like three million. That's how many we have. But there's probably gonna be you know 1.2 million people vote. I need somewhere between 500 and 700,000 people to vote for me to win. And I'm going to physically, that's the, that's pretty much, I'm going to get up close to that number because I'm going to be out there. Now, my my competitors are definitely not going to be doing what I'm going to be doing. They'll, they'll pop up every once in a while. They'll get, you'll see a lot of their ads and, you know, you'll see that, oh, they were in Des Moines or they were in Cedar Rapids. But I am going to be seen by a lot of people. Okay. The Iowa State Fair, it's 11 days. There's a million people. Most of them are from Iowa that are going to show up. I'm going to be there 11 days working the Iowa State Fair, and I'm going to be talking to tens of thousands of people personally. And I'm going to be doing that all over the state, but I need help. I need somebody, that, not just one, but I need a handful of people who say, yeah, I can help break the two-party duopoly by working for Rick in this campaign. Now, does it, does it matter at all that Iowa has essentially become a solidly Republican state? I mean, Iowa historically has been purple, back and forth, blue and red, we had a Democratic governor for 12 years, uh, and well, we had a Democratic legislature for four years back between 07 and 2010, and now it's really solid red. I mean, the only, uh, the only there, there, there are three statewide officials who are Democrats, and I think two of them because they've been there forever. Rob Sand is the only new Democrat to come onto the scene. Uh, is there even any... I mean, do we even have a two-party system anymore? <laughs> I mean, effectively, we have a we have a one-party state pretty much, and that's not unusual around the country right now. Uh, I, I agree. The polarization is becoming greater, not less, because the, both parties have figured out how to antagonize the other guy and make their people so afraid of them that they vote they can't change their vote, they can't change their mind. So we've gone into it's basically it's all blue states or, or red states, and there's no purples left. Uh, and, you know, I was uh, definitely suffering from that same thing. But the, I think the real question you're asking is, can, can we have a political revolution? And I, I think the answer is yes, because I don't see happy people. Yeah. I don't talk to people who are saying, this is really working well. America's going in the right direction. I don't see people saying, Congress is doing a great job for America. I don't see people that are saying, you know, the, the, the two-party system in Iowa is solving all of our problems and really making Iowa no, a better I mean, in state. In fact, most, most people are saying the opposite. Exactly. And so, they're ready for change. But then again, they'll, they'll say, part of it will be they don't know who you are. Not yet. Not yet. But they'll also say, well, why should I vote for a third-party candidate when only a Democrat or a Republican will win? Well, because you want something different. Because if you keep voting for a Republican or a Democrat, you're still going to be just as miserable as you are today. But if enough people vote for me, you're going to have a third alternative. Mm -hmm. My goal really, you know, I don't want to be governor because I like, like I think that, you know, that's, that's, the, that's not my ambition to be the governor. I think that I have the chance to break the two-party system in Iowa. And, and if we break the two-party system in Iowa, we, will, we can make this, this whole country better and a, a better reflection of the original idea of giving uh, government protecting our liberties and l allowing us to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So how does an independent... We, it can happen. How does an independent governor work with the Republican legislature? You veto all the bad bills. <laughs> okay. And then you tell them, this is Fair a good enough. bill. Okay, this is a good bill. This bill is good for everybody in Iowa. And it'll, it'll, it'll save money so that we won't have to tax them as much. It'll provide a service or a good that is better than what we've got now. Uh, and uh, so you should write it. And by the way, I'd like to see it in two pages at the maximum, because if it's any longer than that, nobody and I was going to read it. I don't want to see 100-page bills. And, um, and by the way, let's get rid of about 
every year about 5% of the current laws because they're useless laws. They, they aren't making our lives better. Let me ask a simple question. I know you're still a young man, but I've been here for 70 <laughs> years. Are you, is your life better today than it was, six, let's say, 50 years ago when you were 20? Is, is your entire life just a lot better because government made it such a much better place for us to well, be? Well, it's better, but I'm not sure I would credit government with too much of the uh, improvements. Well, then what are those 13,000 pages of laws that they've passed? I did notice What's that. What's the as, use? As what, why did we have them? When I started off as a lawmaker in 20, sorry, 1993, the Iowa Code was four volumes. <laughs> um, by the time I finished in 2006, it was five volumes. That was under Republican control. Yeah. The party of less government yeah. grew the code by an yeah. entire volume. That's exactly right. <laughs> they think they didn't do anything if they don't add, they, on the average, 163 pages a year yeah. to the Iowa Code. And I say, it, 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 I had this philosophy in business, too. I know there are a lot of people in business that think the same way. Um, if, if you give me a proposal that's like five pages long, I just give it back to you and I say, can I see the, can I see the one page proposal? <laughs> and they say, well, okay. And they come back, they got three pages. But a one page proposal is always better than a five page proposal because it has the important things in it and you've, you've crystallized this is important. Look at the constitution. How many pages is the American constitution? How many pages is the Iowa constitution? Not very many, right. but it's really strong and it's meaningful and everybody can read it and understand it. You cannot understand the laws that they passed today. They're too complicated. There are too many well, pages. They're legalese, yeah. And well, it's just me, too long. Let me ask you this. Uh, the, the other candidates running for governor, Democrat and Republican, they, they, have a, they have a big team. Each of them has lots of people running for the state legislature, Iowa House, Iowa Senate, Congress, uh, four county supervisors. Uh, what does the rest of the libertarian team look like in Iowa? Well, it's a little short this time because... Uh, the Republican Party, uh, and I'm not just trying to say like the Republican Party is bad, but it was the Republican Party that did it. They passed a law that said we have to have our petitions in by March 15th instead of August 15th. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, uh, that law was just declared unconstitutional in court just a week ago. Mm. So now we can actually have more candidates before because our petitions don't have to be in until um, August 15th, which that's the way it used to be. Right, because you don't have a primary. Well, we don't have a primary this year. After I get 2% or more of the vote, then we'll have to have a primary just like the Republicans and the Democrats. Right. Uh, but they have the privilege of having a convention and, and nominating people at convention. Mm -hmm. So they can, they can fill up all the empty seats. If you look at the people who are running right now, uh, there are many seats in Iowa that where there's nobody running yet, right. even though the deadline was... Uh, you mean no Democrat or Republican running? Yeah, not, or yeah. No, certainly, just nobody. <laughs> And so um, they can fill in the oh, yeah. gaps. Are there, are there legislative districts where there's neither a Republican nor Democrat? Absolutely. Running? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I didn't realize that. Be well, because they can just appoint somebody. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, right. So I, I think we're going to pick up a fair number. We do have some really good candidates now. Uh, we have a county attorney in Greene County, mm -hmm. uh, and Thomas Lane. Uh, he's running again. He's already the county attorney. He's going to win again. Uh, we have a candidate in um, it's Altoona, I forget the number, 56 or 57 House District. Uh, this is a, a Jenny Cadle. Uh, she's a trans woman. She's a very strong candidate. She's running a, a super hard race. We have a candidate in Des Moines here, uh, Toya. Uh, oh, uh, Jack you, Johnson. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know sure. Toya probably. Yeah. Uh, well, that's... Um I, yeah, and we have a few others. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rick, I, I really appreciate taking time to join us. I hope the other uh, candidates will uh, agree to uh, join me as well. Um, we can never cover all the issues even in 45 minutes, but I think we've done a fairly uh, 
fairly good job of tracking through a, a bunch of material. Rick, uh, thank you for joining us. Ed, it's always fun to come and have a conversation, and I always feel that after I uh, have talked to you for a while, I need to, need to do some more homework oh. <laughs> because you're challenging, and I like that. Well, thank because you. I, I don't like to talk to people who listen to me and believe every word I say. I like to talk to people who challenge me, and I learn. All right, very good. Rick Stewart, folks, and uh, when we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns is going to join us for our farm and food segment. We are going to be dis- discussing... Growing food in one's front yard. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Family Forum. Remember folks, you can help support our alternative to these shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can become a sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, anywhere in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact David Drake Family Psychiatry Dot com. All right, now it's time for, drumroll, our farm and food segment. And as always, Kathy Burns at Birds and Bees Urban Farm joins me for that conversation. Today we're going to be talking about growing food in your front yard. Scandalous. <laughs> well, in some communities it is. Yeah. It shouldn't be. It should not be. It really shouldn't be. But It's it, a beautiful thing. There are so many... Um, you know, beautiful lawns out there doing absolutely nothing for humanity, the earth, or, or anything that maybe they're kind of pretty to yeah. look at, and you would disagree. Well, I, I do not see the, I, I guess I understand the appeal of a, a, a totally weed-free uh, monoculture of Kentucky bluegrass, but it does if nothing it, for the environment. Well, if kids are <laughs> going to play outside 
barefoot. That's a cool thing, I guess. Well, unless it's been sprayed with chemicals. That's, that's another true. Story, that's true. You don't want that. I was fascinated to learn, though, because, Ed, we grow food in the front yard, and, and even the space between the sidewalk and the street, we call it the parking strip here in Des Moines. But I saw some statistics uh, from greenamerica.org about what the average American yard consists of, and 60% of it is dedicated to lawn, on average. 60%. Um, 19% is impervious surfaces like your driveway, your walkways, even the roof of your house. So your house footprint is considered part of that. 18% is dedicated to ornamental trees and shrubs. And that mm. leaves how much for produce? <laughs> a very, very little bit. A enough, mere, for, enough for a salad. A mere 3%. <laughs> 3%. Yeah. And boy, you know, you would think people would be hungrier than that. Now, in some I mean, in Des Moines, you are allowed to grow food in your front yard and on the parking strip, that, that again, that strip of grass mm-hmm. between the uh, sidewalk and the street. There are some restrictions on the parking strip, but in many communities, like I know Urbandale, you are not allowed to grow food in your front yard unless you can demonstrate that you have no other place to grow it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, I guess, better than not being allowed at all. Yes, it was. I was exploring that uh, city code for uh, somebody who wanted to start growing food in the front yard and was excited to learn that, yes, they are within the code, although their neighbors may not know that they are. Well, nobody grows food in the front yard, so <laughs> how are these people getting away with it? Um, but it should be more common. Yeah. It really should be more common. So um, it is changing. In 2021, the National Gardening Association reported that 35% of families in the United States grow their vegetables, fruit, and other foods at home. 35%? Yeah, that's and, incredible. And again, that's probably, uh, you wonder how much they grow. Well, it started to increase during COVID again, right. too. And hard times really add to people's propensity, mm. inclination to grow food yeah. in their yards. They're, a, they're not sure where the food's coming from. So that's a big increase. I can't imagine uh, it was very high that many years earlier. No. Uh, in fact, the 2021 figure is a 200% increase since oh, wow. 2008. Okay. So and one of the, another challenge, though, is you've got more and more people living in apartments, um, townhomes, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, places where they can't grow food. And that's, um, yeah, that's that's got to skew the numbers in the other direction, away from more and more people being able to do that. Right. The first statistics I was citing were about home owners or home dwellers. And, yes, a big chunk of American households are not, you know, mm. individual home owners or home dwellers. Um, we are. We are renters in a home. And that works for us. We have a very small space, but we grow a heck of a lot of food. Half of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's it, it's always been re- remarkable to me the passion that some people feel for a green lawn. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I guess it looks nice, <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, there are those who think it's untidy to grow to, food and, in your front yard. Yeah, and I, I just think it's boring just to have a <laughs> monoculture crop of grass. I, I like grass. Um, like it's, corn grass, <laughs> corn, um, onion grass, garlic grass. You know, those those are, are those are my favorite grasses. But uh, I guess I, I make I, a nice salsa with some tomatoes. Those three things. My philosophical uh, observation about the passion for monoculture grass is this: uh, the, the um, that people want to. We want to control our environment. We want to be in charge. We don't mm. want surprises. We want to be able to manage stuff. 
And one way to do that is to take our the immediate environment in front of where we live and sleep and make it something that is easy to understand, easy to control. Um, and that's, that's, that's where it comes from. Well, it's that's sad. my theory. It's sad, it's though, worth. because the water use is intensive to maintain a lawn like that. The chemical use is intensive. Well, it can be. And that is really to the detriment of, you yeah. know, the health of our earth. Um, it's also uh, not a very, it's not a very comprehensive social justice, you know, view of the world either. Growing food in your yard can be the way that a lot of people eat, and it, indeed mm. it is for us, but... Um, the economy can really uh, make it more important for people to grow their own food. Yeah. In I guess in 1971, Americans were going through a recession, and the, um, the interest rates were going up, and people had no other choice but to grow their own food. And we saw that happen again, as I mentioned, during COVID, maybe not so much for financial reasons, but for uh, food security reasons, for supply chain reasons. Yeah. Well, in Des Moines, again, to talk up Des Moines for a second, I guess, we were able to convince the city council to unanimously uh, vote to establish the Food Security Task Force a couple of years ago. And that has created a, a page on the city's website website called Feed DSM, as in Feed Des Moines DSM. And it's a good guideline to some of the rules and regulations relevant to food production and also resources that you can go to to get a better handle on you know, on, on where to find compost, on, mm -hmm. on where, to, uh, where to find tools, um, mm -hmm. where to buy seeds, where to find chickens, where to find uh, bees. That's you a know. good way to get started in growing food. And if, if you do choose to grow it in your front yard, your back, your front, whatever, in fact, you, you can really start conversations with neighbors growing it in your front yard. That's one of the benefits <laughs> of that. Right. But and we do. A lot of conversations go on of it. Ways to get started. Um, have somebody, just somebody mentor you. Scope out the space that will work for growing food. Look at the sun, the angle of the trees, the shade, the type of soil you have. Decide if you're going to put raised beds. Yeah. Um, a lot of that material can be procured very cheaply. But also, I understand in some places you may not be able to do any of this. And so, you know, if we can help with advice on how to encourage your city council, your mayor, mm -hmm. your county if commissioners or boards of supervisors, if we can help with ideas and strategies on how to uh, get, how to convince them to allow food production to happen. Happy to do that. Yes, you know? reach out. We're easy to find. I mean, there are still cities that do not allow, in Iowa, that do not allow people to have chickens. Small cities where you cannot own a chicken. They're chickens. And we're the biggest city in the state, and you can have up to 30. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's not a problem if it's done right and if, it's in, if, if, if violations are taken care of. Anyway. Hey, Kathy, uh, thanks so much for joining us. You're so welcome. Hey, thanks to our guest today, Rick Stewart. And remember, folks, we are inviting all the, uh, the, the candidates for governor in Iowa and all the U.S. Senate candidates in Iowa to participate in a conversation on this program. Thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.